as the children begin to leave to have their time of learning, we are going to stay in here this morning, and we're going to have another message today from the Gospel of John. Today, we return to the Gospel of John to be our third week and our third message then from the book, the book of John, the Gospel. And we're in a kind of a mini-series going through certain aspects or certain portions of the Gospel of John. We are by no way going verse by verse through the Gospel of John, but rather hitting upon certain key passages that helps us put in perspective who Jesus really is. For example, our first week was from John chapter 4, in which we heard that Jesus is the living water. In John chapter 4, verse 14, one of the key verses, Jesus speaking to the woman at the well says, whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. We learn from that passage and apply that Jesus truly is the living water. The second message, of course, last week we turned to John chapter 6 and found not only is Jesus the living water, but the bread of life. In chapter 6, verse 35, Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Whoever believes in me shall never thirst. We talked about how that was the first of seven I am statements which now has led us into departing from John 4 into the rest of the Gospel of John we're going to have for the next several weeks, talking about the I am statement. He is living water, and he says, I am the bread of life. Of course, Jesus is not literally saying that he is bread and water, but obviously using metaphors to communicate then that only he, only Jesus can satisfy all of our desires. Only Jesus can meet all of our needs. And only Jesus can quench our spiritual thirst and feed our spiritual hunger. All those are powerful truths we apply from the two previous messages pertaining to the Gospel of John. But there's much more. In fact, today we learned, we turn to John chapter 8, that Jesus is going to tell us that he is the light of the world. Stand with me this morning, if you're able to do so, as we stand to simply honor the reading of the word, we're going to land in ourselves this week in the Gospel of John in chapter 8. We're going to leap down, not from the beginning, but into the 12th verse. We find in John chapter 8, verse 12, these words. Again, Jesus spoke to them, saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So the Pharisees came to him in verse 13 and said to him, You are bearing witness about yourself. Your testimony is not true. Jesus answered, Even if I do bear witness about myself, my testimony is true, for I know where I came from and where I am going. But you do not know where I come from or where I am going. You judge according to the flesh. I judge no one. Yet even if I do judge, my judgment is true, for it is not I alone who judge, but I and the Father who sent me. In your law, it is written that the testimony of two people is true. I am the one who bears witness about myself, and the Father who sent me bears witness about me. Or verse 19, they said to him, therefore, where is your father? And Jesus answered, you know neither my, me nor my father. If you knew me, you would know my father also. Those words he spoke in the treasury, as he taught in the temple, but no one arrested him because his hour had not yet come. So he said to them again in verse 21, I am going away 
and you will seek me, and you will die in your sin. Where I'm going, you cannot come. So the Jews said, will he kill himself? Since he says, for I am going, you cannot come. He said to them, you are from below. I am from above. You are not of this world, or you are of this world. I am not of this world. I told you that you would die in your sins, or unless you believe that I am he, who you will die in your sins. So they said to him, well, who are you? Jesus said to them, just what I've been telling you from the beginning. I have much to say about you and much to judge. But he who sent me is true, and I declare to the world what I have heard from him. Verse 27, they did not understand that he had been speaking to them about the Father. So Jesus said to them, when you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am he, and that I do nothing on my own authority, but speak just as the Father taught me, and he who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do things that are pleasing to him. As he was saying these things, many believed in him. But Father, Lord, we do thank you today for this reading. Lord, we do thank you for this powerful truth that we've received today. Lord, I do pray that we open our hearts now, not just our ears, but open our hearts to have the truth to penetrate, Lord, into our lives and see how we can understand this text as it's written and then see how it can apply to us, Lord. So lead and guide and direct. Let your spirit fill our hearts and fill this room here now, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, notice as I mentioned as we had the reading that we were not starting at the beginning of the chapter, but leaping down to verse 12. Now, I say that then to make an understanding that at the beginning of the chapter, there is a bit of discrepancy or a bit of a controversy seems to exist because it tells us about an account with the adulterous woman. In fact, many of the Bibles, in fact, yours may be like mine, that has a footnote that says in verses eight, or, uh, chapter 8, verse 1 through verse 11, it says the earliest manuscripts and many other ancient witnesses do not have John 8, 1 through 11, or even the last verse of chapter 7. Again, it serves as a footnote in mine, but it actually is written that it was not actually in the early manuscripts. Now, we're not here this morning to be able to offer any debate or discussion about that particular statement made in the Bibles and the comparison to early manuscripts. We reserve that particular matter to another day and time. And even with the adulterous woman account as written through verse 11 at the beginning of chapter 8, it's a great message. We didn't read it because of the controversy, but rather because as you skip over the particular section, what happens at the end of chapter 7 to verse 12 is a much smoother transition. In fact, many scholars say that the transition is much smoother if you omit the beginning of chapter 8. Now, that thought is supported by the fact that the scenery that occurs at the end of chapter 7 is the same thing that occurs in chapter 8, verse 12. It tells us it's within the temple court. It happens to be the Feast of Tabernacles. So before we do any application here this morning, allow me to elaborate and explain the contextual setting that occurs in this particular chapter, starting in verse 12. It's when Jesus shares with the crowd a very powerful truth. It's the second I am statement. Again, verse 12. I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. We're going to come back to that in a moment and unpack some great truths from that. Let's spend some time there discussing verse 12. But before we do, let's leap down to verse 20. 
Go back to the text and look at verse 20 because it provides the entire backdrop of the scene of what's happening in this chapter. And verse 20 again says this. These words as Jesus. He spoke in the treasury as he taught in the temple. Of course, no one rested him. His hour had not yet come. So look, according to chapter 8, 20, the scene occurred in the treasury. Or more technically, research suggests it is within the court of women. Now, we don't have a modern-day temple. So I thought, well, it might be good to have a PowerPoint presentation where you can see the temple in its entirety, as it was in that particular day. And you see then that there's a large court area that's always made of courts. The temple was divided into certain courts. And you find then, notice that there's one particular court named the Court of Women. But the Court of Women was not just designated as the Court of Women. It's a rather large court, one of the busiest parts of the entire temple. And at the side of one particular portion of that court was a colonnade with 13 great treasure chests. Now those chests were called trumpets because they were shaped like trumpets standing on their faces, narrow at the top, and rounded out at the bottom. And according to researcher William Barclay, these trumpets then, located in the women's court, provide a program of designated giving, offerings. Hence, then, the word treasury. So it's also known as the treasury, not just the court of women. Barclay's research reveals this, then. That the first two trumpets of 13 were for half shekels, which every Jew had to pay for the upkeep of the temple. The second two trumpets, which would be number three and four, were offerings for the pigeons to be used for rites of purification. The fifth trumpet was for wood for sacrifices. The sixth trumpet was for incense. The seventh trumpet was for the upkeep of the golden vessels of the temple. Then any of the money they had left after they had designated their offerings to the first seven trumpets, the remaining six trumpets were for love offerings and any undesignated giving. So the court of women has 13 trumpets or 13 receivings that they can have for the treasury, for the offerings. So basically this part of the temple was designated as the treasury and where the offerings were put. But there's much more yet. It's much more than where the offerings were given. There's something else highly significant about the treasury. Because it so happens to be that in the court of women in the treasury is where the candles burn to symbolize the pillar of fire that led the people of Israel through the wilderness in Exodus chapter 13. Yeah, a major portion of the Feast of Tabernacles, that is the occasion, that is what's happening. During the Feast of Tabernacles, there was a, a lighting of a giant lamp in the women's court or the treasury of the temple. It's one of the great ceremonies during the Feast of Tabernacles and was called the illumination of the temple. Now notably then, the wicks that were used to keep the area lit was made from the priest's worn-out garments. So we have then the illumination of the temple, the women's court, the treasury, a spectacular celebration occurring, both in this concept and this annual observance at the Feast of Tabernacles. The light provided by the burning of the priest's worn-out garments illuminated the temple area, and people gathered in the sing and praise and dance. Also noteworthy is that the light reminded them the Jewish people who had gathered of how God was with them 
and the wanderings in the wilderness and the pillar of cloud by night or by day and a fire by night. It was a bright, fiery glow in the temple of the treasury, the court of women. And in this particular context, at the Feast of Tabernacles, is when Jesus then called himself the light of this world. I mean, if you think about it, it's a brilliant moment for the Lord. It, it capitalizes all the ceremonies on the Feast of Tabernacles, and this goes to everyone in this busy, busy courtyard. He proclaims to everyone within earshot, I am the light of the world. And it's hard for us to maybe put ourselves there, but picture it the best that you can. Put yourself and imagine you're at the temple on this particular moment with the lighting of these giant lamps that are sending a fiery blaze in the air. It's an occasion of momentous importance and reflection of the Exodus. And at that particular moment, then Jesus comes to take center stage and it states, perhaps loudly, I am the light of the world. I mean, don't miss the moment that's happening. Don't miss the message the Lord is sending. Jesus is making the claim of his deity. I mean, how fitting that the Feast of Tabernacles, when these large lamps were burning bright, that Jesus then says, I am the light of the world. It's a tremendous, pivotal moment. Because in essence, what he is saying then, he says, if a man, a man, woman, child, if a person follows me, he will have light for not one night, but for his entire life. Which then leads to our first application point, which is this. When you make a decision to follow Jesus, you have light not for one night, but for all of your life. Again, verse 12 is the key verse. When Jesus spoke in the Feast of Tabernacles in the court of women and the treasury with the, with the light burning bright, and he says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. It's such a powerful verse, carefully worded and expressed at the exact right moment. Because of the trumpets, this part of the temple was very important and heavily traveled. It was a perfect place then for the Lord to do what he wanted to do. He knew just the right moment to make the pronouncement. For people in the courtyard, they were engaged in a fiery flow, a fiery glow, representing a pillar of fire. Which, by the way, then the pillar of fire designates God's presence and protection and guidance. And Jesus enters in and once again proclaims, I am the light of the world. I mean, in essence, he is saying, through me, through me. I bring the Father's presence. Through me, I bring protection. And through me, I bring guidance. It's only in Jesus Christ can we or anyone receive the light to overcome the darkness of this world. Make sure you hear that. Only through Jesus Christ can we or anyone for that matter. No one is exempt. Only through Jesus Christ can receive the light to overcome the darkness of the world. And let's just recognize this morning, slow down a little bit, that we are living in a very dark world. It's all around us. We see it every day in life, or we hear about it in the news. This morning, before we come to church, watching a little bit of the news, 
is, of course, everything's about the one-year anniversary of the Russia invasion to Ukraine. But now we're also then talking about the escalation that can happen over a world scene because now China must maybe play a part in supplying Russia with things they need to continue to keep the war going. But the news this morning was saying it's not just China. That China is positioning themselves for other countries to ally themselves with also China, Russia to help it go. Like North Korea or Iran. So now we've gone in a very dark place in the world in which this war is escalating. But while that's filling the news, it's not just that war in Ukraine. It's been happening now for over a year. How many times within the last two months? We're not even in the February yet. And we've already heard about multiple mass shootings. And folks, we're just living in a very dark world. There is darkness. There's a symbol of evil, rebellion, sin, and ignorance in our world. And then really, then, if you take that consideration, what we need now more in this world than anything else is the light. And only Jesus then offers the light that we need. It's only Jesus. So, I mean, and thinking about that, the first application really to be ask ourselves is, is he truly the light of our world? Is Jesus the light of our world? Now, rather interestingly, to begin to ponder that question, we should remind ourselves this is not the first time within the Gospel of John that you share with us that Jesus is the light of the world. Turn with me to the beginning of the Gospel of John. In John chapter 1, of course, in the first five verses, we learn really quickly as you begin to read the Gospel of Jesus' light. John chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. Verse 3, all things were made through him. Without him was not anything made that was made. And then verse 4, in him was life. And the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Notice when the first five verses of John's gospel, John essentially tells us that Jesus is the light of mankind. He's the light of the world. But also that man did not comprehend it. Listen, man did not understand, man did not comprehend. So I wondered then, maybe you generically, if mankind understands it or comprehends it today, that Jesus is the light. I mean, what do you think? Do you think today that mankind comprehends or understands that Jesus, God's one and only Son, is the light of an evil, wicked, dark world? I mean, it's a rhetorical question. Begin to process it. I mean, does mankind today, men, women, children, in the world today in general, do they know that Jesus is the light? I'm not so sure. But in thinking about that this week, I begin to think about how, if you ever noticed, how bugs, you know, just insects, bugs, that fly around when they're just naturally drawn to the light. And when it's dark outside, maybe not even pitch black, bugs just make their way to the light. Have you noticed that? Bugs make their way to the light. So thinking about that, thinking about whether mankind comprehends that Jesus is the light of the world, and I begin to think, why doesn't man do that? I mean, why doesn't man 
Why are they not drawn to the light? And I got thinking, well, perhaps it's because man likes darkness. And what darkness seems to hide. Because we must admit that one attribute of light is that it exposes what we think is hidden. It exposes what was previously concealed in darkness. But I got thinking further, you know, it's not just bugs drawn to the light. I've seen this over the course of several years, being a grandfather, I have three grandchildren, and I've seen it not in my grandchildren, but in others as well, young children. Perhaps some of the children that was up here earlier are now in the back of the, of the church. But have you noticed how children just have a fascination with light? My grandson Jasper, who's the youngest of my grandchildren, when he comes to our house, if there's a flashlight sitting out, he'll still go to the flashlight, turn it on, and it'll shine it everywhere. He's still fascinated by it. Now, I gather pretty quickly, and all of you need to know, that the perfect gift to give your children younger is give them a flashlight. I mean, if for a birthday or Christmas, you give them a the flashlight, they'll be happy and content. You won't see them for hours. But you'll be annoyed by the constant light being shined all the time. But I noticed it with all three of my grandchildren. And with children in general, they love the light. They grab the flashlight, they shine it around. I mean, it happened to Jasper, naturally now, because he's the youngest. But it wasn't just Jasper. It happened to Anna, who's the second oldest. And now, even with Micah, who's sitting back here smiling on his face, Micah knows that when he was younger, it's going to embarrass him just a little bit, but he'll get over it eventually. That when he was younger, he received a special flashlight that was like a tiger. You know, and, and when you hit the tail of the tiger, his light, his mouth would come open and roar with the flashlight coming on. And he had that for years. You seen that? Oh, yeah, Isaac had one too. Isaac, you're also embarrassed this morning. But it went from Micah enjoying that light. And Anna eventually got to use that toy. And if it was still around, I don't know what it is, but Jasper would love it too. But fast forward to adulthood. Now, we may find it desirable, even necessary at times to have a flashlight. But we regularly do not flock to the light like a child's fascination they have for it. Or like a bug drawn to the light. But shouldn't we be? I mean, shouldn't we be drawn to the light? Particularly now as we know that Jesus is truly the light of the world. Shouldn't we be just drawn to that? That light? Many of you know what it's like to be without power. And we often have a power taken for granted. I mean, we take our power for, you know, it comes on every night, every morning, whenever we return on the, the light for whatever reason. It, it helps us in the darkness and is available pretty much all the time. But when there's an ice storm or when there's a powerful thunderstorm, we can tend to lose our power, which means that we lose our light. She was talking about the soup supper we had last night for the fundraiser for cancer. My cousin Paula was there, and she has her daughter live in Michigan. And they've had this big ice storm up there. And she told me last night that her uh, daughter Paige has been now without power. This is Sunday, has been without power since Wednesday because of the ice storm. So those things happen at times when we lose our power. But observe then what happens. Whatever time has transpired, whether it be an hour or days, when the light comes back on, what do we do? 
We rejoice. We're joyous that the light has come back on. So all I'm saying really for application here this morning is that we need to have the same joy for the light of the world, Jesus. Jesus Christ is the light of the world. And if you follow Jesus, he will lead you, he will guide you, he will direct you, he will protect you. And you will not be stumbling around in the darkness because you have the light that leads to life, everlasting, eternal life. Which then brings us to our next particular point and return to the text. Observe in verse 21. The second segment now of this particular discourse comes in play. Some actually caption this portion as a warning of, cap- of coming judgment. But notice as we begin to read it again that Jesus is referring to sin and death. Of course, he's directing his attention to the Jewish leaders and the Pharisees. Look in verse 21. So Jesus said to them again, I am going away, and you will seek me, and you will die in your sin. Where I am going, you cannot come. So the Jewish leaders said to him, Will he kill himself? Since he says, Where I am going, you cannot come. And Jesus said to them, You are from below, I am from above. You are this world, I am not this world. I told you that you you would die in your sins, for unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. Which provides in our second point. That people will die in their sins if they reject the light. Because they are rejecting the only way to be rescued from their sins. Notice in verse 24. That Jesus said twice, not once, he said twice, they would die in their sins. That is, they would die in their sins if they would reject the sin bearer or the light of the world. So in other words, if they or anyone, it's not just the Pharisees, it's not just those leaders, those Jews at the time. If anyone, if anyone rejects Jesus as the revelation of God or the light of the world, they would miss their only hope. Or salvation. Let me say that again. If, if anyone should reject Jesus as the revelation of God, as the light of the world, they would miss their only hope for salvation. Now, as we hear that, begin to process that, it's interesting to say the least. Now, if you think about light, light is in the Bible is used as a symbol of God in his holiness. In 1 John 1 5. John writes, God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. Even think about the Apostle Paul on his road to Damascus was going actually to persecute the the Christians. In chapter 9, he is what? Blinded by what? He's blinded by the light. The fact is that Jesus is the light. Not merely a light or another light among lights. He is the only light. Light, the true light. In John chapter 1, verse 9, he said, The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. That is Jesus. So then, in this particular portion of the Gospel of John, when Jesus said then in verse 12, our key verse perhaps, when he said, Whoever follows me, he meant then, Whoever believes and obeys him, he was speaking of salvation. And listen to the second point. People will die in their sins 
and to reject the light because they are rejecting the only way to be rescued from their sin. He's also making that point to be known. As he's standing in the Feast of Tabernacles, a celebration in the court of women and the treasure. I am the light of the world. Tell they reject the light, you will die in your sins. So go back to the text and notice in the reaction. As he makes his proclamation, look at verse 25, the reaction of the Jews, the, the Pharisees. They said to him, who are you? But Jesus said to them, just what I've been telling you from the beginning. I like that. Jesus says, just what I've been telling you from the beginning, just like you won't listen. I have much to say about you and much to judge. But he who sent me is true and declare to the world what I've heard from him. And in verse 27, he simply adds, they did not understand him speaking to them about the Father. Verse 27, we stop there because it simply states they failed to understand. And again, so many people still do not get it. Or they simply will not accept. Jesus is the only way to the Father. It's a very clear truth written in John chapter 14, verse 6. One of the other I am statements will eventually come to. I am the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. That message in truth that Jesus is the only way does not sit well in this dark world today. If you go later today into the world, the workplace, school, wherever you're going to, and you make the claim that Jesus is the only way, according to John 14, 6, and what we learn in the text, if you make such a claim, it's probably that you'll be labeled as a fanatic or someone insensitive, intolerant, maybe e egotistical, and maybe then even a maniac, because you believe that. I mean, it seems then the worldly people today don't want the light and equal will not accept the sun. It's just the truth. I mean, it seems to be happening to our world. They won't accept it. And maybe we need to ask why. And maybe there's multiple reasons, but perhaps it's partly because Jesus being the light of the world ultimately brings conviction to the heart of man, women, and children. That men, women, children, us as being human beings, we don't like conviction. And then mankind then being not that they want to be convicted of their sin and want to stay in the darkness rather than the light, they, they try to outsmart God by inventing another way to go to heaven or the Father. So sadly, many people are taken up with the values of this world. They're so taken up by it that they are blind to the priceless gift that Christ offers us. And perhaps then for today that maybe gives us a reminder that maybe we need. I mean, maybe we need to ask ourselves, are we blinded by worldly values? Because if so, we need to recognize we don't need to focus on worldly values and miss what is most valuable. Don't, don't, don't focus on the world. Don't have one foot in the world and one foot in the church. Don't, don't be partially following Jesus. Recognize him as the light and fully commit. Don't get caught up in the worldly values and miss what's most important. You say, okay, well, what is most important? Eternal life with God. For us as Christians and believers, one of the most important things we can look forward to is a life of eternity with the Father. 
seeing Jesus face to face. And it all starts then with accepting Jesus as the light of the world. One commentary I was reading said this, having the light of Christ is the ultimate necessity of life. No concern or need is more urgent than that. Without it, we will walk into eternal darkness. We should not want to walk into eternal darkness. We should want no one to have darkness in their future. Come to the light. Seek the light. The light of the world which came to save you. E.A. Bloom says, Coming to Christ for salvation results in a different kind of life. A believer will never walk in darkness. That is, he will not live in it. He does not remain in the realm of evil and ignorance, for he has Christ as his light and salvation. I truly hope you have that. Receive the free gift, then given to the world, Jesus Christ, the light of the world. Father, Lord, we thank you for the message today. I return to John and see how we learned that Jesus is the light of the world. So many wonderful things about Jesus in our lives, Lord. And today we're yet reminded of one important aspect. Certainly he provides the living water, or yes, he is the bread of life. And now, Lord, today we see he is the light of the world. I pray, Lord, for all of us today to come out of darkness and to live with the light. Lord, let us today recognize our sinful nature and that the light overcome it. We can also be overcomers with the light. I pray today, Lord, we receive that. The one person here today, Lord, who has never received the light of the world, Jesus Christ, I pray you put some conviction upon them now and receive that in their heart. Thank you again for how we have this message here today. Remind us of this powerful truth. In Jesus' name we pray.